0: Fossil fuel mining creates 40% of our methane emissions. Natural gas gas is methane.
1: That's the member for Warringah, Zali Segal, speaking in federal parliament on Monday, March 6th and calling for real and positive action from the Albanese federal government on global warming. She said, if you want to deal with global warming, we have to deal with Methane. Yes, you're through the door. This is the latest episode of Climate Conversations and I'm your host, Robert McLean. This podcast is assembled here in Shepparton in Northern Victoria, Australia on the lands of the Yorta Yorta people. Yes, the stolen lands of the Yorta Yorta people and I pay my respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Let's listen now to what Zali Stegall said in Parliament on Monday and you'll find a link to the vision, audio and text in the show notes.
0: Last year Australia signed the Global Methane Pledge to cut 30% methane emissions by 2030. Now, Most people think methane just comes from agriculture and we always get an outcry from the national members about beef production and and meat production. But that's only half the contribution of methane in Australia. Fossil fuel mining creates 40% of our methane emissions. Natural gas, gas is methane and all too often it is left to just leak out into the air. Now gas is at record high prices and it's just leaking out so we're losing resources, we're risking energy supply and we're cooking the planet. It makes no sense. Methane is over 80 times more potent than carbon dioxide over a 20-year period. The fossil fuel industry in Australia is releasing large quantities of gas to the atmosphere that should be captured and brought to market. The International Energy Agency found that fossil fuel companies in Australia are emitting around twice the methane that the government reports to the UNFCC. This is now on satellite data. A recent satellite study from ESRON, a Dutch Space Research Institute, identified that methane plumes across Australia coal mines they estimated that Glencore's Howe Creek mine in Queensland was emitting 15 per cent more methane than the total methane emissions reported by all open-cut mines in Queensland combined. Now, in January, the East Coast was facing ministerial intervention to keep the lights on and energy prices were skyrocketing. And the coalition and the media were obsessing about, we need new gas fields, there isn't enough supply. Now, to give you an idea, in January, during that perceived period of shortage, AMO and the ACCC identified that we needed 30 petajoules more of gas was needed on top of current supply. Now, the the Environment Defence Fund has identified that our annual methane emissions from leakage so we're just letting it drift out is 77 petajoules. So we could have met any kind of issue of shortage without opening up new wells. If we were in a drought and we had a leaking tap and water drip drip dripping away, we would fix it. We would not say, "She'll be right. Let that tap, that tap keep leaking. Let's go and open a new well." It's time we did that for methane and gas. The government has to put in some gas leakage restrictions. The amount of gas leaking from Australian oil, gas and coal mines each year is about 5% of our annual usage. The International Energy Agency's annual methane tracker report, released last Tuesday, shows that methane emissions released through the fossil fuel supply chain are rising, even though technologies are available to cost-effectively capture and sell that gas. So we have an opportunity. The safeguard mechanism reforms are an important opportunity for the government to bring in sensible measures for capturing and using that gas. The effectiveness of the safeguard mechanism will depend on the accuracy of the data it is based on. And the current reporting framework is just too lax to ensure any accuracy. So I've proposed an amendment to fix this. Most oil and gas activities reports currently are based on national averages rather than actuals. This needs to change. It has to be actually from real data. The Safeguard Mechanism reform process, it's an important moment to address energy sector methane emissions. Now, this is crucial for dealing with global warming, and the fossil fuel industry can cut methane cheaply We need to do this. The Environmental Defence Fund found that by focusing on the energy sector, Australia could cut methane emissions by 30 per cent by 2030, below a cost of $33 per tonne of carbon dioxide equivalent. The European Union will require importers to report methane emissions from supply chains, conduct regular leak detection and repair programs, and cease methane Uh, venting and flaring in domestic oil and gas productions. Australia's largest gas importer, Japan, has signalled its preference for low emissions gas. Yet currently in Australia, there is no national regulation preventing venting and flaring of methane. It is just allowed to leak. So I call on the Albanese government. Get serious about these leaks. Enact effective national methane regulations to limit venting and flaring of gas implement best practice regulations from the oil and gas methane partnership and use the safeguard mechanism and other legislative pathways to drive methane capture and apply global best practice standards consistently across fossil fuel projects if we want to deal with global warming we have to deal with methane
1: with the australian parliament back in session everyone it seems is talking about global warming in one way or another and last night, and that's Monday, March 6, it was Australian Greens leader Adam Brandt on the 730 Report being interviewed by host Sarah Ferguson. First we'll have the lead up to the interview which sets the scene and then Adam Brandt talks with Sarah Ferguson and you'll find the link to the 730 report in the show notes. Welcome to
2: 730. The government's campaign to pass its signature climate policy is intensifying. The debate in Parliament is becoming more testy, while the ghosts of climate policies passed are stalking the chamber. The aim of the so-called safeguard mechanism is to bring down emissions in Australia's most polluting industries. Shortly, I'll be joined by Greens leader Adam Bant to talk about it, but first, Casey Briggs makes sense of this complex policy.
3: The story of modern politics in Australia is strewn with climate policies. Some never made it off the drawing board. Some were more effective than others. In total, the smouldering debris of years of climate wars. This government's proposal is to rework the safeguard mechanism, a key element in its plan to bend the carbon emissions curve in the direction of the 2030 target. You don't reduce emissions, you don't reach our target unless
4: you're dealing with the biggest emitters.
3: The coming weeks will tell us if his plan for the biggest emitters will pass Parliament or if this policy, like the others, will be sent the scrap heap. It's got temperatures in Parliament rising.
5: The safeguard mechanism is another carbon tax with a facelift.
6: Any effective climate policy should bring down pollution from coal and gas. Labor's policy doesn't do that. In fact it gets worse.
3: Here's what Australia's near-term emissions target looks like. Carbon emissions were up here in 2005. And this is the target. No more than 354 megatons of carbon dioxide pumped into the atmosphere in 2030. A 43% reduction in less than eight years to get there. That will require deeper cuts than we've made over the past decade. Enter the safeguard mechanism. It applies to about 215 facilities around the country. Many of those are fossil fuel producers, coal mines and gas extraction and processing. Some manufacturers, producers of materials like steel and concrete, and airlines are also affected. Collectively, they produce about 28% of the nation's emissions. The mechanism sets limits on emissions for each of those facilities. The scheme itself isn't new. It was introduced during the Turnbull government in 2016. But it set the limits sky high and the former government didn't fully enforce it. Since 2005, some sectors have cut emissions, the electricity sector doing the heaviest lifting, while these four sectors contain most of the safeguard facilities, and in those, emissions are still climbing. The rules in place just aren't bending the curve. Labor is proposing to keep the terrible name, but toughen the rules. It wants to give each facility a cap based on its current emissions and then reduce that cap by 4.9% a year. If a facility goes below its cap, it can sell the spare emissions to other facilities. So over the decade, the collective emissions across the facilities are squeezed down. The Coalition is against it. Hardly surprising given it opposed the 43% climate target in the first place.
6: This is a a tax that's being imposed. Uh, It's three times the tax that Julia Gillard proposed.
3: The opposition argues the cost of carbon credits is too high and the reduction's pace imposed by the mechanism is more demanding than in similar economies. It says that'll put big polluters in a chokehold, Sending business offshore and affecting jobs.
5: Of the 215 businesses that will be hit, 63 are located in Queensland. All but two of these businesses are situated in the regions.
3: While Labor's other flank is worried about what it sees as a massive loophole that could perversely allow emissions to go up. Here's why. The safeguard mechanism allows companies to offset excess emissions by buying carbon credits. Think planting trees and land restoration. And crucially, there's no limit to the number of carbon credits a
6: company can buy. Coal and gas pollution gets to keep going up as long as they buy tree planting permits on the other side of the country.
3: The Greens also want new coal and gas projects in Australia explicitly ruled out, arguing that capping emissions on these 215 polluters means little if new fossil fuel facilities can start operating. On that, climate scientists tend to agree. The IPCC says emissions from existing and planned fossil fuel projects would already lead to more than 1.5 degrees of warming.
6: Investing in new fossil fuel
3: infrastructure is moral and economic madness. One thing is for sure. Failure to deliver a scheme that works would leave the government's climate ambitions up in smoke.
2: Adam Bant is the Greens leader and he joins me live from Canberra. Adam Bant, welcome to 7:30.
6: Thank you for having me
2: on. As you decide whether to vote for the safeguard mechanism, what lesson do you draw from the Greens decision in 2009 to vote down the Labour government's emissions reduction scheme?
6: Well, looking back over recent years, of course last year we backed the government's, the new government's climate target even though we didn't think it was enough because it enabled us to take a first step, a small step on the road to the climate emergency. And of course back in 2010 um, we worked with the Labor government to put in place a world leading climate legislation. So I think the lesson that we draw is that the Greens are ready to work in this parliament um, to pass laws that will cut pollution. But key to doing that is tackling coal and gas. Coal and gas are the main causes of the climate crisis. Um, Pollution from coal and gas has to start coming down. We want to vote for laws that will see coal and gas pollution come down in this country, not go up, because you can't... Put the fire out while you're pouring petrol on it, and the government's desire to open up new coal and gas projects uh, is the sticking point for us at the moment.
2: I just want to understand though, because politics is also about learning lessons from history, in that 2009 decision, is the lesson that you drew from that, that there is no problem voting down climate legislation and sending everybody back to the drawing board?
6: Well we've consistently uh, voted for climate legislation as well and the point that I'm making is that here in 2023 we've just had an election where uh, the Australian people uh, saw the government's vote, Labor's vote go backwards, the coalition's vote go backwards and a record number of people voted for the Greens and for independence. And uh, the parties that said that they wanted more coal and gas saw their vote go backwards, the parties that said we need to stop opening up coal and, ba- coal and gas saw our votes go up. Now, in this parliament, Labor does not have a majority in the Senate. They're going to need to work with others in order to get legislation passed. All right, let's, we're, let's up, l- we're up for that. And good. we've made an offer to pass the legislation.
2: Well, let's, let's talk about that. You're demanding that there be no coal and gas projects, you've made that very clear. How would new projects impact the safeguard mechanism that the government wants you to vote for?
6: Well, so the offer that we've made, and it's not an ultimatum, it's an offer, the offer that we've made is to say we'll um, put aside our concerns about uh, the corporations being able to buy their way out of the scheme through offsetting, through tree planting schemes and the like. We'll put aside our concern that the government's target is weak, sees the end of the Great Barrier Reef. Um, We'll put aside the fact that it's Tony uh, Tony Abbott's reheated mechanism. We'll support the legislation and we'll vote for it in Parliament tomorrow with one change stop making the problem worse. All stop right, opening that, up new coal and gas projects. As,
2: as you are aware, that is a, a a massive ask that you are putting to the government. Is there any way that the government can convince you that the safeguard me- mechanism could adjust to manage emissions from new projects?
6: Well, I'd say two things. One is in terms of the, the level of the ask. As you've heard, like, we're not asking for the perfect, we're just asking for the bare minimum. And that is, don't make the problem worse while we're trying to fix it. And on this we've got the science and the people on our side. This is the bare minimum of what we need to do to ensure that our kids have a chance at a safe climate. In terms of what could change, um, there's uh, the way the government has designed the safeguard mechanism is that it's leaving open a lot of space for new entrants into the scheme. The government's own emissions projections say that there's six big new gas projects that they want to get underway before 2030. And to give you a bit of an idea, um, of the scale of these, just one of those, uh, the um, uh, the Scarborough project alone off the coast of Western Australia will emit more climate pollution before 2030 than would be potentially saved from the whole of the scheme put together. So we're dealing with these massive climate bombs and really the, the, uh, we've made a good faith offer and the, the ball is in the government's court now to explain why they want to keep opening up new coal and gas All mines right, let in me, the let climate me, let crisis. Let me just jump
2: in there. You, you've actually asked for this to be written into legislation. You know that no government is going to do this, don't you?
6: Well, you know, U.S. President Barack Obama used his legislative powers to say he wasn't going to allow exploration for new coal on um, federal lands because he could see the scale of the climate crisis. Other countries are saying, listening to the International Energy Agency, the world scientists, the UN Secretary General, who are all saying we can't open up new coal and gas projects and still meet our climate targets now. Others um, have come along and put some other proposals on the table and said, well, what about uh, changing our environment laws, for example, mm. so that new coal and gas projects can't get off the ground uh, if they because of the impact that they're going to have on the climate. Um, uh, others, the Climate Council has said, well, look, why don't we pause all new coal and, and, and gas all projects these ideas, until?
2: Are all of these ideas seriously under consideration by you at this moment?
6: We would consider uh, any proposals in good faith that are put on the table to deal with this question of coal and gas. Uh, we want to pass laws that will see pollution from coal and gas come down in this country? And that's ultimately the test for us of a good climate policy. Does coal and gas pollution go down or up? And at the moment, even on Labor's own figures, pollution from coal and gas goes up under their policy.
2: Another critical sticking point that was raised today by Senator Pocock is the question of uh, carbon offsets in the legislation, um, by which, as we we just saw a little bit of this, that polluting facilities can offset up 100% of their emissions. If these offset schemes were guaranteed to produce big emission reductions for the country, why shouldn't some companies be able to do that?
6: Look, if you're talking about uh, the the cement manufacturer or Mm. the glass manufacturer or aluminium, um, we want to see those industries thrive. Um, Those industries have a future in the green economy. Green steel, for example, is uh, energy intensive. Yes, but we can, um, with research and investment, we can do it cleanly. What we're talking about though is coal and gas, so we're not, we understand the particular situation that genuine Australian industry finds itself in and we're willing to work uh, on that to ensure that we see those industries thrive. But coal and gas are in a different category. And we know coal and gas are what is causing the climate crisis. There's some, you know, the other industries aren't causing the climate crisis. Coal and gas is.
2: Well, let, and that's why
6: we say that they need... We, we can't have coal and gas continuing to expand and think we can fix the climate well, crisis. Let's
2: go to that position on the, on the projects, because the, the, the competition regulator is warning of a serious gas shortfall. Are you saying that the Australian public should put up with shortages of gas...
6: We don't need new coal and gas projects to power our economy. Uh, Australia is awash with gas at the moment. The problem is the greedy gas corporations suck it out of the ground and then sell it all off overseas and then what's left gets sold to Australian business and householders at sky-high prices. And the majority, the majority of no those tax. contracts
2: are long-term contracts and I'm not I I don't think I understand you to say that you would disrupt those long-term contracts causing potential sovereign risk to Australia
6: Well, we've just given the government the power at the end of last year to reserve as much gas as is needed for uh, the Australian population, Australian business and Australian people, while we make the transition and also to help regulate the price. That wasn't our preferred approach, um, to, to have a gas reservation, but we supported the government on that, in part because uh, it is now clear the government has all the powers that it needs to reserve the gas that is needed while we make the transition. And I don't think anyone's actually put the argument that somehow um, that would compromise international contracts. Well, what according, this is about no, is well let me put be- this to
2: you. The ACCC uh, says that the shortfall of gas between 2024 and 2034 could be as much as 300 petajoules. Now that's half of this year's entire supply. Are you suggesting putting that at risk? Well, we're
6: saying two things. One is the government now has the power to deal with that by reserving as much gas as is needed for Australia and putting Australia first. And uh, that is something that. The government has that power because we gave it to them. Second is that it is crystal clear that when you look at it from a climate perspective, everyone, the scientists, the experts, including those who are looking at the safeguard mechanism, are all saying, if we open up new projects, we're going to blow our climate goals. Just today, the government's own modellers that they use yes, for you, their own schemes. You shared came that information.
2: Just, let me just come back to you, Adam Bank, because we're, we're running out of time. But um, I just want to go back to the idea that uh, everything has to be perfect on day one. The European emissions reduction scheme was a flawed and very modest scheme at the outset that gave too much away to big polluters. But it's now embedded and it's a global gold standard. Why not let a policy get embedded and then work with the government to improve it?
6: Well, that's what we're offering to do. We've got an offer on the table to pass the legislation tomorrow. Except but what that we you're don't asking want... the
2: government to do something that you know they cannot and will not do.
6: But what, we'll, what we don't want is to do this good work in Parliament and pass a scheme on Monday and then have it undone on Tuesday when the government opens a new gas project that blows the budget. So if we're serious about this, yes, we'll put something in place. Will it be everything that the Greens want? It probably won't be. Will it be everything that the government wants? They're going to have to give a bit as well. In this parliament where power is shared, because that's what the Australian people wanted, we are all going to have to work together. And for us, we're saying very, very clearly, we will put aside our concerns with the government's legislation, pass it, give the scheme a chance to get running, but we've got to deal with this question of coal and gas, because you can't put the fire out while you're pouring petrol on it. The people and the science are all saying, you know, as we watch the floods and the fires and the droughts hit us, stop opening new coal and gas mines.
2: It sounds like the, uh, you've already reached your red line, we'll have to leave it there. Thank you very much indeed for joining us, Adam Band.
1: And the conversation continued this morning with the federal government's energy and climate change minister Chris Bowen being interviewed on Radio National by Patricia Carvelis. It's worth having a listen to what he had to say.
5: Last year, the new Labor government vowed the climate wars would end. Soon after, they legislated their 2030 emissions reduction targets with the support of the Greens. But the bill that's arguably more crucial, more important, outlining how certain industries will get to that target, is driving a new wedge between the government and the minor party with an outcome still unclear. There is yet to be a deal. Energy and climate change Minister Chris Bowen joins me now. Minister, welcome back to Breakfast.
4: Always a pleasure, PK. Good morning, and good morning to everyone listening.
5: Last night, a Senate committee released its recommendations for the mechanism, but the Liberal and the Greens issued dissenting reports. Now, the Greens say the safeguard mechanism will increase pollution from coal and gas and make climate change worse. They are the votes you need, and they say your bill makes it worse. How are you going to get it through?
4: Well, you're right, Patricia, the Liberals have made themselves irrelevant to this process by opposing a policy they themselves promised they would implement, i.e. safeguard crediting. But put that to one side because that's that's the modus operandi of Peter Dutton. In relation to the Greens, obviously we've had ongoing discussions and we'll have ongoing discussions. But our position is the same in private as is it in, is in public. And indeed, Mr Bance is, to be fair, our position is we sort of mandate to implement these reforms. This is really important. And these ongoing discussions are important because the opportunity before the parliament uh, over the coming weeks is either to seize the opportunity to reduce emissions by 205 million tonnes or to squander it. That's what the Parliament has the opportunity to decide in coming weeks. Now, I'm confident that the Parliament will seize that opportunity because the stakes are too high. This is almost a third of our emissions, 205 million tonnes of emissions reductions by 2030. Yes, of course, when you're doing a big, complicated reform, Patricia, uh, the Liberals will say this is a disaster, the Greens will say it doesn't go far enough, but our our track record in government under Anthony's leadership and the way we intend to proceed with this is to get the job done.
5: Okay, but why let the buy carbon credits without any limits?
4: Well, because Patricia, what we're doing is a, as I said, a large and complicated reform process which covers a lot of different industries, 215 different facilities, 84 of which are you know, fossil fuel facilities, but many are different uh, types of facilities with varying degrees of capability at the moment to reduce their emissions on site. Take cement for example, it's complicated and difficult uh, to reduce emissions without reducing production or, or reducing staff. So we don't want that to happen. So we do need to provide some flexibility. because but this we're is unlimited flexibility. Well, we're requiring, Patricia, 4.9% reduction in emissions each year. That does require some flexibility. But what we are doing is providing that incentive and that certainty for firms to make the investments in on-site abatement, some of which will be available now for some of the facilities, some of which will take some years to develop but they need to invest in it now, and the framework we're providing provides that real incentive for those firms to really get serious about on-site abatement, but it does necessarily provide that flexibility as to how they'll do it, particularly in the shorter term as we're waiting for that technology, whether it been cement or steel or other things to come on.
5: Okay. Last time we spoke, I asked you a question and a lot of my listeners were were concerned that you didn't answer it. So I'm going to ask it again in this interview. It's like an ongoing conversation we're having. Why do we need new coal and gas?
4: Well... What we need is a sensible... Saying no coal and gas is, frankly, a slogan, not a policy. What we need is a sensible transition to a much more renewable economy. So let's just take the national energy grid, for example, and then I'll deal with manufacturing. But the national energy grid, Patricia, we're going to get it to 82% renewable by 2030. That's 82 months away. It's a huge task, a big lift. It'll still mean eighty-two. of the 82% renewable, 18% will be non-renewable. That means you've got mm. to have supply. You've got to okay, have the supply we need renewables. new and coal then, and then, well, gas was the you've got, question. You've got, you've got gas fields um, you know, with reducing um, production in the southern states, for example. We need to ensure that the gas-fired power stations have supply, and that's before we even get to manufacturing, which for which green hydrogen will step forward, uh, and I'm very confident will replace natural gas, but it's not there yet. And, mm. and and it's several years away. So we've got to get this transition right. It's, it's all very well, with due respect to the Greens, for them to say we want this and we want that. Our job is to manage this transition. I get the that, most, but I'm fastest, going to politely the most complicated to transition. Why new and, and to and supply, though? Why isn't well,
5: what I've we just, have. No, well, I don't feel like you have with. With, well, with you've got you've got examples of, I of get it.
4: Well, I, well, with respect, Patricia, you've got the ACCC, AEMO pointing to gas shortages at various points. Yes, we've got to manage the export market. Uh, a lot of this has already been contracted. You can't disturb that. You've also got to manage the ADGSM, the gas code of conduct, all that we have in place, all that we so have in So we're going place.
5: to need but new all, gas supply, you're well, saying? I'm,
4: I, what I'm saying is it would be irresponsible supply. to have... It would be irresponsible, Patricia. Let me make it very clear, as the Prime Minister is saying in a this morning gas has a role to play for picking and firming for many years to come it would be irresponsible to put some sort of blanket ban uh, on as we are undertaking this massive transition coming after 10 years of denial and delay starting in 2022 to get a 2030 target yes it's ambitious and difficult and complicated. So we will do it. Okay, okay. We will so let me just it, get need... to the
5: heart of this because last night I watched um, Chris Bowen speaking with my colleague Sarah Ferguson on Seven. I think 30. you'll find that
4: was Adam Band.
5: Up, uh, Chris Bowen. You're Chris Bowen. On the course. other guy. Yes, yes. <laughs> that's that's an embarrassing misspeak. You've caught no, me. You have no, caught no, me, but no, I've um, still got the question, and this is it. Correct. Right. All good. And he says, "You just change the laws to ensure there's enough supply. So why do you need new supply? Don't we have enough no, well, gas?" That's...
4: With respect, that's not quite right. What we did is put a gas supply or a gas price cap on in December with the support of the Greens and the crossbench, which we acknowledge and appreciate. No support from the opposition. Uh, But it does not provide an opportunity for the parliament or the government to go in and cancel export contracts, and nor should it. Uh, There'd be constitutional issues, there'd be sovereign risk issues, there'd be trade issues. Uh, What we've got to do is I am very keen to ensure that we have as much domestic gas supply as is necessary and possible, of course. and That means we have to have difficult conversations with gas companies, which we've had, about the Code of Conduct, about ADGSM, the, the trigger. But you're saying uh, we're going to need more gas? I'm saying it would be irresponsible to have a blanket ban on, uh, of the nature of which the Greens have indicated. Be- because you is think we, a we might need is to green
5: light more gas?
4: I'm suggesting, Patricia, I've said it now, I think six or seven times, it would be irresponsible to have a blanket ban. I've said that consistently from the beginning. That's been our position in the private conversation with Mr. Ban. It's been our positions publicly. And Mr. Ban's position has been the same privately as publicly. That's their view. But it's an offer, not an ultimatum. He's happy to have good faith talks. We've had those and we'll continue to have them.
5: Okay. Major Australian investment groups have told the Australian newspaper they'll be recommending three changes to increase integrity in the scheme that you're trying to legislate uh, by forcing heavy emitters to release time-bound climate transition plans. Do you think that's a good recommendation and will you take it on?
4: I certainly think, Patricia, that the conversation about transparency and openness and and plans which are there for all to see is a very fruitful conversation to have. I, I certainly think that's. So I think it's a, it's a, it's a suggestion by those groups which is worthy of further discussion and consideration. It has been uh, something which has been on my mind about how we could improve the transparency of the of the arrangements. And certainly, they are the sorts of things that I think uh, sensible people would and could contemplate.
5: How confident are you that the pipeline of new coal and gas projects won't blow out the emissions budget in your safeguard mechanism legislation?
4: Well, when you talk about just just firstly, Patricia, this concept of a pipeline. Now, Mr. Bant, with respect, says, "Oh, well, there's this pipeline of, of, of projects that Labor wants to approve." Now, that is not the case. What there is is a register of of projects which companies have, you know, filled in and said, "One day we might want to develop this, or we're interested in developing this." They've, many of them are yet to get environmental approvals, final investment decision, board approval, insurance, finance, etc. And you know increasingly shareholders, investors, consumers are demanding better of companies. And that's a good thing. So this idea that there's a guaranteed pipeline is not accurate or correct. and then, and then and then indeed, they have to get environmental approvals and then comply with a safeguards mechanism if they are if they are large emitters. Now, in relation to this, we've factored into our plans a reserve of seventeen million tonnes to to cater for uh, the flexibility we need. but also patricia, if if this reform passes, There will be a constraint on carbon of existing facilities and new facilities. If this reform does not pass, there will be no constraint. No constraint. So, th- again, the choice for the Parliament is, do you want business as usual, which is seeing emissions from these facilities go up, existing and new, go up, or do you want a okay. constraint in place which this policy provides, which will see emissions come down? But
5: if you want to get and- your legislation through, you have to negotiate it. Now, yesterday, Independent Senator David Pocock told me he's still got serious concerns over the legislation and he'd like to see a cap on how many carbon credits a company can buy or use. You, you Earlier, you told me you thought that that, that you needed flexibility, uh, that means you could still have a cap with some flexibility. Will you consider that?
4: Well, I've had discussions with Senator Pocock and we'll have more, but uh, without revealing those private discussions, again, my position publicly is the same as it is privately, that if you put hard caps on use uh, when you are requiring 4.9% re- emissions reduction each and every year, uh, then uh, that is a problem because you've got industries which won't be able to comply with that without without accessing ACUs. Now, people say you can't offset your way to net zero and you can't offset your way to um, the 1.5 degrees, and I agree with that. But I also I also think it is impossible to do it without offsets. I mean, offsets are the net in net zero. I mean, we all talk about net zero. Technically, it's the policy of all the parties. Yeah, it's Labor, about Liberal, the National, unlimited
5: nature of the offsets
4: but net is the net in net zero i mean so let's just let's just be the offsets are the net in net zero so let's be clear about that uh, and they do have a role to play now again if you are going to suggest that the you know no facility should be able to use more than x percentage of offsets then you have to explain with respect how an industry which doesn't have the technology yeah. readily available in in large amounts just yet whether it be concrete or steel or some of the others would be required to reduce their emissions. And with respect, nobody has been able to do that because Just, nobody can.
5: Minister, finally, uh, the Greens leader, Adam Band, that's his name, um, uh, has made it...
4: Only our mothers can tell us apart. Well, yeah.
5: <laughs> has said that you, you're going to have to give a little. I mean, that's the thing. You've got to do do a deal if you want to get this through. What are you giving? It seems that every time we speak, you sort of you, well, but... spooking your plan, but what are you willing to negotiate on?
4: Well, Patricia, with respect, you're one of Australia's finest journalists, but you're not a mediator, and we don't need a mediator. Mr. Bant and I are having those discussions, and you know they have been good faith discussions and with goodwill. Just as Mr. Bant and I negotiated the climate bill, the electric vehicle tax cut, and with the Prime Minister, uh, Prime Minister's involvement, the energy relief package. I mean, we get things done, and yes, we start from different positions, uh, but of course. So you're uh, going to give a little. Record, well, well, I, I'm very keen to get this through, but our. Our negotiating mandate is very clear, and as I've said a number of times in this interview, it's the same in public as it is in private. Mr Bance is the same in public as it is in private. He said uh, his position is an offer, not an ultimatum. I... I appreciate and respect that. I think that's the right approach on his behalf. And uh, we'll have ongoing discussions. But as I said, the opportunity for the Parliament is to seize or squander uh, this chance to get emissions down by 205 million tonnes. This is the only, only opportunity we have to get emissions down in our largest industrial emitters. The country has been getting emissions down from electricity. We have plans to get it down much further. We have plans on transport. Uh, We're working on agriculture. But this is the big opportunity when it comes to heavy industry, which is almost a third of our emissions. And if we don't seize this opportunity, we will not be on track uh, to do the sorts of things that we can do as a country and catch up on
1: 10 years of denial and delay.
5: Minister, thanks for your time.
4: Always a pleasure, PK.
5: Climate change and energy minister, Chris Bowen.
1: Mr Bowen's suggestion that no gas or coal... From the Greens was simply a slogan, is both misleading and distressing. For if the idea was adopted, it would become a policy. And so it is Mr. Bowen and his Labor government that has the power to make that idea a policy and put Australians and Australia back on the right side of history. We've reached the end of this episode of Climate Conversations. Thanks so much for your company. So until we talk again, please take care, stay safe, and please be kind. Everyone you meet is fighting a great battle. And please, if you enjoyed this episode, feel free to share with your friends. In fact, I'd love you to share with your friends, and please do, because we all need to know all we possibly can about the climate crisis, why it's happening, what we should do, and how we should respond. Until we talk again, take care.